Welcome to another episode of Uncanny Creatives Podcast. This is Pops. Today we'll be talking with two Jeffs, Jeff McLennan and Jeff Mokomsky. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, guys. They are two comic creators who are putting out a new book called Hancho. It'll be out in a couple of months, maybe a couple of weeks. It'll be on in a minute. Stand by. Hi, Jeff. How are you today? Pretty good. Pretty good, actually. Excellent. And here's Jeff, too. There's the other Jeff. Hey there, guys. How are you? I'm good. Good afternoon. How are we doing today, Jeff? Jeff. (laughs) Jeff one, Jeff two. Here's the problem is we're both Jeff M, too. So it gets even better, uh, you, you can call me uh, a Jeffrey if you want to, and, and that Jeffrey might be, uh, and Jeff. Yeah, How's that, that might be a, a better work. better solution. But uh, I refuse to be called Jeff too. That's in my contract. <laughs> That's wonderful. Where are you guys calling from? So I'm in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is sort of southeastern Pennsylvania. If you're not familiar with the area, I'm originally well, not originally. Before this, before I was in Florida, I was in Milford. So that's north and east of you. Yes. Uh, I am not too far away. Uh, I'm in Bethlehem, PA. My son is in Bethlehem. All right. All right. So I know exactly where that is. Excellent. Well, welcome to Uncanny Creatives Creatives Podcast. Uh, We're going to talk about what you're working on, what you have worked on, um, and specifically about your joint project. All right. We're going to start with you, Jeffrey. Um, how do you get started in comic books? Let's start there. How does anyone get started in comic books? I think that's the that that's the question. I mean, it's it's kind of like uh, you're left you're a baby in a basket left on a doorstep. Uh, in in a lot of ways, I feel um, I, I, I probably my story is not that unique. Um, I was uh, you know a fan of comics growing up, and as we've heard the story before. One of the things that's kind of unique about the comic book industry is that a lot of fans also want uh, to, to be a part of it and want to make comics. Um, and I certainly count myself among those. Um, so uh, strangely enough, uh, my senior year of college, I kind of had a, uh, an epiphany where, where I realized that uh, I didn't want to do what I was going to school for. <laughs> ah, not, not, in exactly. a, not in a, uh, a career, not in the sense of a career anyway. Um, so I took a creative writing class, uh, and, uh, you know, had a, a great time in it. And I thought, you know, this is, this is something that I'm, I enjoy. Uh, I can't kind of fathom doing the other thing for the rest of my life. I was like, what do you think, uh, what, what, what do you think the possibility of writing, uh, for comics, um, might be? And of course the answer to that is, uh, I don't know, close to zero, but, yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I, I gave it a shot and I actually had a, uh, the first story that I wrote, and maybe this is, you can put this on my tombstone. Uh, the first, first story that I wrote was, was published uh, by Dark Horse Comics, um, just kind of out of the blue, uh, sent it to them. Um, and, uh, you know, that I thought, well, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's only going to go up from here. And of course, then the next thing I, I published was, you know, years later. Um, <laughs> and that's just kind of how, how things work some, sometimes. So uh, it, it's a story of, of perseverance and uh, mixed with a little bit of uh, maybe blind stupidity, I suppose. That's, that's What's that first book? Part. Tell us about that first book for Dark Horse. What was that? Well, it was an interesting situation. Uh, the, the title of the book is uh, Strip Search. Mm-hmm. And uh, how this was put together, um, the editor, uh, Adam Gallardo, I believe is his name, uh, was with Dark Horse at the time. And uh, he put, it was basically an online contest. Um, And uh, every month people would send in comics and people would vote on them. And uh, unlike many uh, different contests, this wasn't just for exposure. Um, There was actually... Uh, you know, some money involved in, in, in publishing some of the work there. So that was, you know, also a, a, a really nice aspect of it. But uh, uh, they chose 12. So every, they ran it for a year. They chose a, a, a short comic every month that would be printed in the, in the final version, along with 
some of the editor's favorites. Uh, so I have to believe, not to you know short sell myself or anything, but I have to believe there was a little bit of ballot stuffing going on uh, on on my end, certainly with some of my friends. Um, not to take away from uh, you know the artists that I was working with, but uh, you know certainly uh, I I did whatever I could, whether it was within the bounds of good taste or not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and we got that published. So so that was uh, I don't know. It's it kind of still is uh, yeah. a highlight um, that uh, that I look back to and think uh, you know what what a great time that was. So uh, it's I'm sure it's available on Amazon at some place. Uh, awesome. It was published in 2004, I think. Okay. Um, so a long time ago. Uh, but yeah, that's called Strip Search from Dark Horse, and uh, and I'll always be grateful to uh, to some of those folks for kind of you know, blindly uh, letting me send something to them and, and, uh, and having it work out in, in ways that I didn't really expect. Well, you accomplished what many, like you said, fans who would like to be in the comic business accomplished. You actually got something published and put out into the world. So wow, bravo for you. I think that uh, one of my friends said he was in Japan and he saw a copy on a shelf uh, at a, in a comic shop. And I was like, that's, you know, I, I could basically retire with that. I feel. <laughs> uh, when, it's, when there's a book that has kind of international uh, distribution, um, you know, who knows how many people bought it, if anyone did, but uh, at least was on sale somewhere uh, on, in another country on another continent. Excellent. <laughs> Jeff. Yes. What about your start in comics? Um, so I, I was, I went to art school. Uh, I was an illustration student and, um, you know, it was sort of in my mind at the time I was going to be, you know, like an editorial illustration dude that draws, you know, celebrities with big heads or whatever for magazine covers. Um, you know, and at the time I got out, um, it seemed like magazines were kind of imploding. So like all that work that really wasn't there. Right. And the work that was there, there's older guys and girls who are very talented that are going to get it first. So long story short, I was a fan of comics, you know, growing up, I'd always read and collected comics to, you know, sometimes a little more intensely than other times, but I always had them handy and always sort of read them, whether or not I was getting new ones or not at the time. Um, but I, I just, you know, I wanted to sort of use that illustration skill to draw some comics. So I sort of just started drawing my own comics. And I think from an artistic point of view, what makes comics sort of really appealing is, you know, whether or not the stuff that you're making at first is any good, you can jump right in and start making them, right? Like there's nothing stopping you. you nobody might read them, but, but, you know, you can go make them. Um, so at the time I had a job at a, at a copy and print shop. Um, so right after graduation, that was sort of my college job that I kept, um, part-time job for a little while. And I, I sort of used that and some friends that I had that were also doing sort of their first comics. And we all sort of threw in and made zines, right? Like they were little four and a quarter by five and a half awesome. um, books. So they were called a uh, high noon presents was sort of mm -hmm. the name of it. It was an anthology. And we, um, we managed to put one out a, a month for a year. I think it would probably been like 2007, 2006 okay. around that time. So it was a big thing around town for like a minute. It was a lot of fun. I got to work with a lot of friends. Um, so doing anthology stuff was sort of where I started at, just doing a bunch of short stories. Um, after that, I sort of started to do sort of World War II zombie stuff, which eventually culminated in sort of Jeff and I and others doing a book called Fubar. It was like a collection of right. um, what started as sort of a World War II zombie story, but became sort of historical zombie stories. Mm -hmm. um, so I think a lot of that for me, at least sort of originally came out of high noon where it was really fun to work with a bunch of people on, you know, many hands make light work, essentially. You can put out a thicker yeah. book, more people contributing. Uh, and it just happened to sort of coincide um, with like when Kickstarter was first sort of becoming a, a viable thing for independent people. Uh, and we had kind of gotten in relatively early on that and were able to fund some printing for some of these anthologies early on. Uh, and then we had, I did one that was Mother Russia, which was like a sort of a, a foobar spinoff. And there was like some. Excellent. I just read oh, it. Oh, that's right. That's right. I saw that you had that. Excellent. Yes, I just this read is the Genesis it. Of Mother Wonderful Russia. book. Yeah. Thank you. So, so basically that had a Kickstarter that ended up being sort of like way outside. Like, I think it was like just under a hundred thousand dollars that it made, which was absolutely outrageous. <laughs> 
You know what I mean? Just unheard of. I absolutely wasn't expecting it. There was some uh, a lucky break where we had been featured in like um, one of these prominent emails that Kickstarter sends out to say, hey, projects you might like. And at the time, uh, they didn't do this very often. So there was a huge return from those emails. And I just happened to get featured in one of them and it just it blew apart. Like mm-hmm. it had started out as, as a more successful than anything I had done thus far prior to this. Um, you know, like it was going to do okay. And I was very excited about it. And then this happened and it just got outrageous. So long story short, you know, Kickstarter ever since then has been sort of a part of my thinking, you know, for the most part, I always like to have, if I'm not finishing a project that I've already kickstarted, I usually am thinking about what I'm going to do next for it. Um, and after that, I just, you know, been lucky to work with collaborators, you know, write, writing and uh, drawing stuff. It's made things easier most of the time. Uh, and in the last couple of years, some stuff that got sort of published by publishers that I've always wanted to work with. Like I did a book with Jenny Wood called Flutter and Dark Horse collected that. That was huge. Um, uh, an original graphic novel for Image with Anthony Del Call and a guy named Jeff Moore called Son of Hitler, which is like a World War II spy story. Um, so those were a lot of fun. And those, I mean, those things keep me busy for like, you know, 18 months at a time, you know, so it just like shrinks and compresses my life and I flush it. And then here's the book. Um, so I'm usually doing that. And then as of late, I've been working with recently, I've been working with uh, AWA, where I've um, been lucky enough to write some stuff for them. And, and the, the amount the, the type of the, the caliber of artists that I'm able to work with on that is just sort of mind blowing for me. These are people I would never even imagine would return my phone calls, but because sort of the nature of the, the projects and different things they do. So it's been a lot of fun. I mean, th- those, those particular books, um, you know, I've been like approached by like, you know, the comic shop in my hometown and guys I went to high school with that read it. Like the exposure for that is something I'm not used to with like sort of my indie stuff that I do, you know, people see it and they read it and I love them for it. Um, but it's never like sort of that it never quite seemed like mainstream comics to me. Even the graphic novels have been published with like companies that you know of and we kind of consider industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, the AWA stuff has been great. The fourth man is, is out today. I think at the second issue of that, it's a four issue miniseries. Awesome. So I don't have another project with them yet at the moment. Um, but fourth man's still wrapping up and that'll, sh- that'll probably be an OGN. I think they collect it in the like $10 trades, right. uh, which are cool, which I think are great. You know, I love buying $10 trades. I will buy almost anything for $10, you know, like <laughs> 70 pages, 170 pages, 3000 pages, whatever. I will 10 bucks for it on there. I mean, that's pretty much basically it up now. And I also, I, ju- I just finished a crowdfunded uh, book called Wipeout, which I wrote and drew. Um, sort of a asteroid is going to collide with the earth and the guy in charge of saving everybody decides to kill the crew and take command of the, of the asteroid. And he threatens to crash it into earth. Um, So, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's essentially it in a nutshell, I guess. That's a lot. Um, Started started in art school, made some mini comics and then got hooked, unfortunately. And what school to go to? Uh, Pennsylvania College of Art and Design, uh, right oh, here in Lancaster. Okay. I am okay. also now, I don't know whether this is a good or bad thing, but I'm also now an instructor there. So okay. I teach, teach different I'll illustration. Yeah, right. it's a lot of fun, honestly. I feel like particularly, like I was saying with like these graphic novels where it's like, you know, 18, 19 months, two years of my time where I'm just like hermited and weird. Uh, I like being able to get out and like, you know, talk to other, you know, colleagues and like students. It's just nice to sort of be out in the world sometimes. So, I mean, I, I, I enjoy it a lot. Right. Jeffrey, how did the two of you meet? <laughs> uh, well, that is that is a story of, uh, of, of great regard, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> Jeff, I, I've told this story many, many times. Would you well, like this is to... why I'm perfectly happy to let you do it. I want to hear it. Okay, fair enough. Um, so we met out of ego, I suppose, is, oh, uh, is how, this, how this worked. Uh, so I'm sure you've noticed our names are similar. Um, we met, I, I believe it was maybe the 2008 or 2009 or 2010 uh, Pittsburgh Comic-Con. Uh, this was back when there still was a Pittsburgh Comic-Con. Uh, and uh, before it was widely known that the, the, the founder of the Pittsburgh Comic-Con uh, was a murderer um, oh. and is in jail for it now. Because okay. uh, I, I, I don't know if I have to say allegedly. I don't know how that, uh, how that still yeah, works. I don't know. I don't know yet. Um, yeah. I, I don't think so. But I think it's down. Jail, I think we can call uh, it back. Um, Nobody's doing time for it right now. So yeah. no, I, I, think, I think he is. Uh, I, yeah. So, um, so, so we were both, uh, scheduled to, to be there and, uh, I was looking for myself, uh, within, you know, the mailer that they had sent out. Um, and I had seen that and they listed it in alphabetical order. Right. So, and I, and I believe that before, uh, Jeff, you had signed on, there was a, uh, a well-known comic book artist from the Pittsburgh area who, uh, is, has a name that's also, 
right right next to my name in the alphabetical list. And uh, I was like, oh boy, people are going to notice me because I'm going to be right next to this guy. And then one day I see uh, in between the two of us, uh, this so-and-so Jeff McComsey has, uh, has, has signed up for, for this as well. So I, I believe I wrote about it in a blog uh, just uh, kind of for, for laughs. And uh, this is where the other ego part is. It's not just me. Um, I believe that you, Jeff McComsey, were searching for your name on must Twitter have been. Must have been. <laughs> and, and found it and had commented on that post that I had, had made. And I think the original plan was for us to fight um at at this convention however it did not work out that way and instead we decided physically to fight friends. um so it was it's, wait wait it's go back a, physically fight yes yes uh there's a there's a picture of us preparing oh, um really? okay an old picture that's a classic picture of me on the internet i think that comes up right away when you what you know when i accidentally search my own name and then the images of the company it comes up pretty quickly um when okay. it's tagged uh, and that must be what it is but uh, when i have seen that picture uh, i have seen versions of it where i am cut out of it <laughs> oh, wow. so like you are you are preparing to fight this oh, mystery wow. <laughs> character uh who is is no longer included in this uh, in this wow. particular image i don't know if that's like uh, someone uploaded that to Wikipedia and like get this other guy out of there or something. But, uh, <laughs> oh, goodness. but anyway, um, yeah. So, so basically we met because of, uh, of, of our names and because uh, we are both insufferable and apparently we'll talk about ourselves and search for ourselves and, and things of that nature. So uh, very obviously it's worked out pretty well for me, um, especially uh, just because we started uh, collaborating pretty soon afterwards. Awesome. Jeff, did he leave anything out? <laughs> no, I don't. Th I think he. I think he's got it covered. You know, I mean, I ever when it, when I first sort of got to know Jeff, you know, one, the one thing that I knew is that I mean, he was mixed up in a bunch of different projects, which I always like. You know what I mean? He's busy, he's doing stuff. You know what I mean? That's something I'm I'm usually doing stuff. So I felt like a kindred spirit there. And also, as far as I know, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I don't know, and this is the point. He has you know, sort of immaculate grammar is in terms of his copy editing skills. Uh, and mine is subpar. So I feel like if I'm like, hey, Jeff, read this. He's always been that guy where he reads it. And he's like, yes, this this works or no. Let's let's apply some grammar here. Uh, he knows where to throw a comma and where not to. And I'm like 85 <laughs> percent sure on where those go all the time in spite yeah. of um, writing things for people. So um, so it was just, you know, I could always trust his his set of eyes. And then he's also a writer. And, you know, like I said, I love working on tiny projects. I think eventually we started collaborating just sort of on smaller stuff. Um, which eventually sort of led to um, to Honcho, I suppose, the biggest one that we've collaborated on so far, right? Honcho, can we, can we talk about uh, can we talk about the hamburgers at the Pittsburgh Comic Con for just a moment? Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> and I have, a, and first of all, despite you know some of the more seedy uh, aspects of this convention, um, I do have a lot of great memories from it, um, and one of those is that uh, when you had a table, um, the organizers of the show would go next door and uh, to McDonald's and they would order, I don't know, 600 uh, hamburgers and chicken sandwiches and stuff like that. And they would just like wheel them around in a cart. Wow. Uh, and they would go to tables and they're like, Hey, do you want it? Do you want a hamburger from the pile? And I'm like, <laughs> absolutely I do. And it was always one of those things where I felt like this is such a, it, I mean, it's free food. And I suppose I've always been uh, kind of drawn toward things like that. Um, but uh, I, I think there was some kind of majesty to it. They were parading it around. It, it, mm -hmm. As much as it's like semi lukewarm McDonald's, which I'll Absolutely, eat, you know, yeah. I don't want to be, you know, pretend like I won't, especially <laughs> the con because you're, I don't know if, I don't know if you tabled, but it, those are long days. Yeah. You can get very hungry. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I don't think I've ever had any other convention. You know, I haven't done a, a ton, but I've done quite a few. And I don't think I've ever had anybody else glad hand me like that. You know right. what I mean? Where they're just coughing up, which, you know, constitutes feeding you. Right. I mean, that's a meal as far as it's concerned. You know, it was yeah. it was a unique experience. And I have like had food at other conventions before, but those are always if I know someone and I'm able to get into like the green room or something uh, like that. And it's never, it's never just for me. This was just for anyone. It was like, there's an old Popeye cartoon um, and it's probably not politically correct anymore, but he is, uh, I, I think um, like Alibaba or something like that. And, and he is uh, uh, wished for riches 
and he is riding on a camel through town and he's just throwing gold to uh, all of these onlookers and he's singing a song while he does it. And I always felt it was a similar kind of feel to that where someone was just like had this embar- embarrassment of riches, except instead of riches, it was McDonald's cheeseburgers. And they would just like parade through the floor and just like throw hamburgers at people. And that, and, and I am someone who doesn't eat uh, at, at fast food restaurants very often. Um, but I was always very excited about it and I would always eat like three or four and then, get <laughs> and, and, and that's, uh, and, and next year I did the same thing. It was like, well, I haven't, cause you have to kind of build up a tolerance to McDonald's. I feel, yeah. uh, you can't just jump in and have four hamburgers uh, at once, but, um, you know, there are three people at the table. I said, you know, give me three hamburgers cause they're going to want some too. And then I end up eating them all. Uh, and, uh, and then. You know, 90 minutes later, I'm like, this was a this was a terrible mistake. Like, <laughs> like, never again. And then the next year I'd come back and do the same thing. So uh thank you for for indulging me. Yes, the hamburger uh, story. For, for chronicling uh this this You're not gonna see that in comics journal. Yeah. <laughs> you certainly will not, uh for, for good reason, probably. Hancho, you mentioned Hancho. What's that about? Who wrote it? Who's idea was it so i you know i don't know jeff if you want to field this one because i feel like my chronology of like sort of the beginning of it's fuzzy as far as like who first approached who and how I, it just sort of came together like a thunderclap you know and i sort of forget the particulars of it absolutely and, and i feel like whereas uh, our meeting was because of ego um honcho uh began out of jealousy um <laughs> honcho uh is, is a fantastic idea and jeff you were uh, kind of uh, putting the idea together for a, a Kickstarter and you had previewed some of the pages um, that, uh, that, that w- would eventually uh, blossom into the, into the book itself. Um, and because of this kind of seething jealousy that I felt uh, from it, I said, you know, I wonder if I could like write a short story that, that would be in, included in the book and uh you know, because, you know, the, the character has its background and things that I think both of us love. Um, just the, the, the main idea behind it, I thought was, was great. Um, so uh, I wrote something up uh, probably that night, um, sent, it to, sent it to Jeff and, and he came back uh, with basically, would you like to, you know, help, help write this um, is, is kind of how it, it, it came together. Um, since then, I have seen a couple like uh, almost comic strip style uh pieces which i i think are the the very early origins of of honcho um yes and yes. uh yeah I and, and this is why i wanted jeff to tell because I, I know what he's talking about yes I, I had done some original strips for it and i completely forgot about that and it's just like three or four and mm-hmm. you know some of the the characters you know the spark is there but, but but they've changed in in between these these different iterations and i don't think uh, and you can tell me if I'm wrong if, that they were even published even digitally anywhere. No, I think I just sort of posted those online, if anything. Um, and, you know, and, and to Jeff's credit, too, like the story that I had sort of started was like a mysterious guy washes up on shore and goes into town. So that is about as far as I sort of had it plotted at the time. Um, the, I, I think the idea already existed at that point that he would be like sort of a, a relatively modern um, Don Quixote figure where we're not quite sure if this guy's crazy or if what he's saying is actually true. Essentially, j- just the real quick breakdown of the stories. Hancho is about sort of a, um, a post-apocalyptic, for lack of a better word, like there's a, a crazy nuclear war around um, – I think it's when, when is it Jeff do you remember it's 1983 I think is when it kicks off right oh. so when he comes back it's 15 years later and he sort of washes up on shore in a soldier's uniform um, and sort of takes off into this sort of decrepit town uh, and what the reveal is with Hancho is that like society's collapsed um, for the most part what's sort of left um, are a lot of these orphans whose parents died in the war or had to raise themselves and they've all sort of coalesced into these different for lack of a better word, which are like local gangs that are also baseball teams. So that's like the social hierarchy of it. So if you're like the top dog in these gangs, you're on the baseball squad. Like that's their claim to fame. That's how they settle disputes, you know, with rivals um, that are around that they play, they play baseball. Um, So that's like just the, the the thing that's left over that, that this character um, captain Stanley, who's like our Don Quixote um, kind of stumbles into when he realizes like he's, 
what we're led to believe is that he's been sent on this, you know, he's from this an emissary from like some kind of American government exile in Europe. And he's there to tell everybody that basically, you know, America's coming back and nobody wants to hear it because they blame the government for what happened to them. Uh, and they're sort of, you know, evolved into their whole little world here with baseball. And he picks up a uh, sort of a sidekick very early on. Um, who's, you know, he's a character who loves the sound of his own voice. He talks a lot. Um, so having him, having somebody for him to converse with was just a practical thing. And it just works with sort of the structure from, from, Don Quixote uh, and Jeff. Another reason why I was very excited to work with Jeff on it is he's a man who has read Don Quixote, um, you know, the original. Um, and I also think that the thing that, that really struck me in that initial short that he had done was just that it was this voice that he had had again, this sort of lofty, you know, way that this character likes to speak. It's just something that I never had in mind and I liked it a lot. So immediately I wanted to sort of bring that into it. You know, once we had that and a lot of it too, and I think the third component for me, um was i it was a book where i was like i want to do a book in color essentially like one thing that i i always almost completely worked in was black and white stuff you know whether it was mother russia or other indie stuff that i was doing at the time i never i shouldn't say never but rarely did i see like professional colorists coloring my line work okay. um so we had brought in somebody that i'd worked with a few times named paul little paul little's a colorist on honcho um, so that was huge. So for me, and I, it's one of the things that still tickles me pink about honcho just the fact that it's full color um i think he did a great job on all that stuff so so you co-wrote it? Uh, yeah. So yeah. I would say, okay. I think, you know, I would say we kind of co-plotted it, you know, like okay. maybe I, my, my thing would be plotting more so. And Jeff's definitely sort of the, uh, the dialogue though. Right. I think I mean, he certainly contributed more than that sort of the story aspect, but if we're going to break it into sort of rigid, rigid titles, I would say that's probably accurate. Jeff, how do you feel about it? It's like a stew. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's that's composed of, of a lot of different elements and it's hard to separate them. Yes. Uh, so, you know, so, so who, who did what, I mean, obviously I give Jeff all the credit in the world for, uh, you know, conceptualizing a lot of these uh, early versions of, of these characters. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes what we would do is we would just uh, talk to each other, like, what do we think is going to, you know, happen and, and, and how do we think the plot is going to unfold? And it would be more of a discussion where, Hey, you know, all these elements are going to kind of be thrown in, into the pot, so to speak. Right. Uh, so, so it's hard to say, uh you know this you know I, I can look at it and say hey i wrote this line because that's a, a me line and there's uh one line about uh, you really are just right off the boat and uh St stanley responds with like uh it was a dallas class submarine i was like that's that's jeff mccomsey <laughs> uh 100 like okay. no, no question so so there are these different elements and i, and I think that uh just being so close to it i can kind of go in and separate some of the pieces to it to a certain degree um but i also think that you know the overall plot and the overall kind of thrust behind it is uh is, is a true collaboration um and one of the the nice things about the story at least from a creative standpoint for me yeah these are the kind of things i like to talk about on this podcast which i started back in 2020 june 20 june 20 in the middle of the pandemic. Nothing else going on. <laughs> Nothing else going on. Let's talk to some comic creators about the process of how things come together, how the pieces meld into this thing that we call a comic or graphic novel or zine. Um, I had a zine maker, a few zine makers recently that will be on the show. It's like, my, how, like there's. I, I'm trying to get a few things done because I have a zine that I want to make. It's literally like you fold a piece of paper into eights and you, I just want to crawl under the house and do that. Like I'm, I'm waiting yeah. for it. I mean, I think the thing with the, the appeal with zines is that there is no appeal with zines. So like it's a thing you make out of pure love. Yes. Obviously, there are people that read them and like them, uh, but it's not something one does because you're like, ah, oh, this is it. This is the idea right here that's going to buy me a new car or whatever. Like it's just right. something you do because you're like, I like to make comics. And that's exactly. why I always think I think that's sort of what makes them special. Really. Yes. in my mind yeah definitely um is the process always the same when you collaborate or is it different if you're doing a single if you're the main writer on your story well you know i would say with with this one i don't think you know in terms of of writing honcho with jeff i don't think i've ever collaborated on a sort of writing project like that before usually they're they're pretty isolated i find like i'm either writing it and drawing it or I'm just drawing it, or I'm just writing it. You know, of course, I'm I'm more than open to talking about it. That that sort of collaboration, um, but I feel like most comics end up getting made sort of in isolation. You know, certainly for the artists. Um, but yeah, usually I, I don't have um, sort of that level of like, hey, let's get together and we'll figure it out. You know what I mean? Like right. normally, there's I'm a much more rigid. Um, 
and not personally i find but like my comic making sort of like my the way i my process for drawing comics it's rigid it never changes uh i would say you know i do thumbnails i do pencils and i do inks same thing with writing you know i sort of brainstorm i have my outline and then i can turn that outline into like into the scripts very easily you know what i mean there's always obviously I think it changes too when you're working with like an editorial or something because you know right. people they're paying you so people want to be in, in the loop so you sort of got to work in a certain you know what i mean like they're going to want to see that little idea first and then the outline and then a script right um, so because of that you don't really get that and I, I think that's why honcho just sort of us collaborating the type of project it was that it was sort of crowdfunded um we were able to sort of work however we wanted you know we didn't have that sort of constraint that you have with other projects well i asked because when he's when I think of collaborations, which don't happen a lot, I mean, recently there was, um, I think Bendis and David Walker created Naomi, which is now a show. Um, going back to the seat of destruction, Hellboy, there's John Byrne and McNola, but you don't see that a lot uh, mm -hmm. in comics where people are, are working together on the story and the plot and the character uh, development. Um, is that something you like doing? Is that something that doesn't it's matter to you either way zines thing you know many hands sort of make light work when it comes to that kind of stuff and and it's it gets tricky because obviously ownership is a big thing now and if you're going to you know make something that's sort of geared for that or could be you know there's always the concern where it's like well would i you know there's a financial underpinning to it you know what i mean when it gets to sort of that level and then i think with some of the other collaborations too i think you've also got especially with mike mignola and john Byrne, you've got mike mignola as an artist who's also a writer whether he knew it or not you know what I mean? It was really a matter of him sort of getting comfortable with that and sort of sort of starting to write on his own. Um, but no, I mean, I, I I think personally, also coming from you know the sort of artist standpoint, I don't mind a collaboration. You know what I mean? In fact, I noticed you know like it's the same thing with getting like notes from an editor or something. You know, like nobody likes to hear that their idea is an absolutely dynamite the first time. You know, <laughs> but the second you sort of put that down and like okay, these people obviously are trying to help you know, read these notes, take this in, and, and what are they trying to say? Um, once right. you can kind of take that stuff in, you know, I think it, it always makes for, like, stronger writing. I, I think, personally, a lot of times the stuff that I've done sort of by myself um, isn't nearly as strong as stuff that I've done in tandem with people, whether it's, like, working with somebody like Jeff or working with sort of, you know, like a full editorial team or something. Um, I feel like they always get stronger through that collaboration, whether it's just you know, it's a, it's a little less clear cut, I guess, when you're working with an editorial team, because a suggestion from one person, another suggestion from another, you know, would you say they co-wrote it? I wouldn't, but, you know, mm -hmm. still those things are pivotal. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey, when you talk about editors and your relationship with editors, there is their role, I don't want to lead the witness <laughs> too much, how does their role affect what you're writing or what ends up finish the finished work? I, I think, uh, and I've I've worked with with editors in, infrequently. Infrequently, um, maybe okay. because I'm, I'm impossible to work with. But uh, um, I, I I feel like the relationship between uh, an, an editorial staff, whether that's one person, whether that's three people, whether that's twenty, and the creative team is really crucial um to to really just putting the book together and and i've worked with editors who are really supportive and i've worked with editors who might not be uh as as supportive and, and maybe hinder the process a little bit and and those are are difficult uh you know projects to to really work to get to to really work toward um and i think really what it comes down to is just one mutual respect uh but two having a, a common goal uh in mind right. And, uh, you know, here's, here's what we want. We all want this to be good. Um, and, uh, you know, we want to, uh, to you know, to, to reach those goals together. Right. Um, so, you know, the, the limited experience that I've had with editing myself, you know, that's some of the things that I, I try to do um, and try to kind of exemplify. So, um, you know, I, I, it's hard to speak from another's perspective when, you know, I don't always know, uh, you know, some of the things that uh, they might be considering uh, but, you know, through that kind of community, communicative process, I feel like, uh, you know, relationships are formed right. and uh, a good relationship with uh, an entire creative team yields good results uh, in, in almost every circumstance. And uh, when, when they're afraid or when they're, you know, you don't have the communication that you should, uh, then, you know, sometimes the, the results suffer. And that's kind of a shame because I feel like no one goes into a, 
a project saying this is going to be bad and it's I'm going to make it bad. Right. <laughs> but uh, but you know you know throughout the whether it's just different personalities or whether it's different uh, you know goals that we have in mind, sometimes those those clashes happen. So um, I, I have been lucky to you know be an editor on a few different projects, and what I probably what I, I I do a little too much of is just say yeah it's good I like it go go with it um, without offering you know a lot of constructive criticism. Um, but the the goal for me, kind of from that perspective, is just to kind of maintain those relationships to realize that. We're, we're all in this together, I know, and that's right. kind of cliche, um, but just to kind of make it clear that, you know, we're all kind of working toward the same goals. And I think that's that should be the goal of, uh, of, of any editorial team. To get the work cohesive, to get things fleshed out. I mean, there's, I know there's a lot of different pieces for the editor versus, say, a producer in music, for instance, um, or editor in film. Is, yeah, it's very different. I mean, let's um, face it, comics are weird. Uh, yeah. Comics are weird, and it's it's hard to really pin them down sometimes to say who is the audience for this and who's reading it. And uh, you know, there there are so many different kind of heartaches associated with comics that you might as well have fun uh, while you're doing it. And that's kind of uh, you know an, an adage that I try to live by. That uh, you know, whether or not this is going to be super popular or or you know sell any copies uh, or anything like that if, if i can have fun with it and if i feel like the other people you know i'm working with are, are going to have fun as well that's really all you can uh, hope for i feel like with a lot of comics because who knows what's going to succeed and what's not uh you know be honest there are great books out there that don't find an audience there are terrible books out there that sell pretty well yeah. um so you know if, if you're working with something and it's just kind of a, a loveless relationship then get out of it, uh, right. I guess. But uh, you know, you've you've always got to uh, uh, work for the things that that make the most sense to you. And for me, I want to I want to make comics. I want to make tell stories that I enjoy. I want to do it with friends. And uh, I've been lucky to have a little bit of, uh, of of success in doing that. Awesome, awesome, Jeff. When you talk about you mentioned your colorist, this is the first time you said that you had your work colored. Uh, in a comic book, that's another layer as far as collaboration. Um, how much input does the colorist have? Because I'm trying to get, again, Uncanny Creators to be a little bit of an educational tool for people who want to get into the business sure. and understand you know, that process of working with three or four, sometimes 10 different people to create this one thing. Mm -hmm. um, so what kind of input does a colorist have to, to say, okay, this person is angry, let's make this page red. This right. person is sad, let's make it a little darker or what have you. Yeah, I mean, I would say, <clears throat> particularly in Paul's case, I mean, one thing or two things rather, I always say two and I'll end up with three or four by the end. But um, initially, you know, colorists are, are immensely professional. If they've gotten to the point where they are working as a comic colorist, it is a job where you just have to be productive. You work with a lot of different people. Um, so they're usually very organized, you know, I find, right? Um, so a lot of it really comes down to, you won't get a lot of them coming back and forth of like, well, what do you think of this here? But they're very receptive to notes and they're also very receptive to that stuff up front right you know okay. i feel like a lot of times it's just sort of you know like like with me i think you know the part a large part of the feedback that i gave paul initially or really just sort of a brief that i gave him i was like hey i really like this sky color and i really like this cloud color together and like he used it throughout the first 24 pages or so and it's great i love it i mean it worked out perfectly um when it comes down to a lot of that like i said generally if you're working with somebody who's a professional colorist they know the business they know what they're doing and they're really good at it mm -hmm. um so a lot a lot of color with colorists generally it's pretty hands-off um you know and again like when it comes down to you get your book back or you get your pages back and you're sort of reviewing anything um they're also not squeamish about notes either you know they get them all the time um little tiny goofy adjustments you know they're you know it really depends too with with the uh with the person some people are very prickly about anybody touching their stuff besides them mm -hmm. other people i'm like hey you know i'm paul also knew that i'm an illustrator and i'm like hey can i just do this thing real quick, this little change. And he's like, yeah, that's fine. Um, so that I think kind of made the collaboration, at least between Paul and I, um, 
you know, worked out really well because there was, a, I guess, an element of trust there. Where if I'm like, hey, I want to adjust this one right here just a little bit, or what if this cloud, whatever, you know, just small adjustments mm-hmm. that he, I know he could easily make, but I know it's like a, it's like a half an hour ordeal for him to do it, or like 20 seconds for me to do it in Photoshop. Right. Um, so there was certainly that collaboration there on that level with it. It didn't happen a lot. It was normally just like little tiny things um, that would just jump out at me. You're talking about comics where like. You know, I think there's like on average 125 illustrations in a single issue of a comic. You right. know? So by the time you've got an entire graphic novel, you know, obviously you're, you're, you're just shy of a thousand illustrations, probably, you know, mm-hmm. and every one of those is a four step process. So on one level, you do want to be sort of near and dear with these things and make sure you're keeping an eye on everything. But there's also a level where you're like, you can't sort of you know, miss the forest for the trees, essentially with sure. this, like you've got to keep focused and make sure all the work's coming in and then think about what, you know, and there are times where I might look at something and say, well, yeah, just not, not in Paul's case, but in general, um, where I might look at something and say, you know, I might've tried something different with that, uh, background, that, that night sky color or whatever. And a lot of those things you just, and that, that might just be the artist reptile brain in me. And a lot of times I just have to kind of let that go and just, you know, realize like, this is perfectly adequate, not adequate, but this is even good. And you just need to like, it's just that first glance where it's like, that's not exactly what I would have done, you know? So <laughs> uh, that's something I usually have to put down a lot with colorists. Um, but a lot of it comes down to just really having your crap together by the time that you're bringing in a colorist, you know what I mean? Like, right. like I said, their time's very precious. They're scheduling you in to, to, you know, generally speaking, they're scheduling you in to do your project. Um, if you were suddenly like, Hey, I've only got half of this. Sorry. Like that's a problem for them. Right. So just making sure that if you sort of decided to get to that level where you want to bring in a professional colorist, that you have stuff ready, or you have a really good idea or date of when you will have, I think that kind of stuff is super important. That's a good question. Jeffrey on the process of creating a comic or graphic novel, start to finish. Let's say you already have the plot drafted, you know, what you want it to be. Start to finish, how long does it take? <laughs> Who the knows? First, the first, uh, that, the first a, issue. That's a great question. I've, I've, had, I've had stories that I have uh, almost on like uh, uh, psychedelic uh, trips. I've, I've written in uh, one night, um, which is not, it's not frequent, but does happen uh, if, if the muse strikes, I suppose. And I've also had stories that I've worked on for a year um, and, you know, don't have, don't have that much uh, uh, to, to show for it. So it really depends on the project, depends on deadlines, depends on what you're trying to do with it, depends on motivation mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> sometimes. Um, you know, with, with Honcho, uh, here's a story of, of Honcho, actually. The, one of the reasons that I, that I was able to, to finish it kind of uh, in the, if, if it was quick, I don't know, but in the speed in which I was able to finish it was because uh, my wife and I uh, were, we spent a summer where she was basically she had a, a job in a, in a different place for, for that summer. And we were staying in a house that had no internet connection. Um, and one of the things that I found is uh, I eventually like ran out of things to do to like distract myself from writing. So eventually I just sat down and wrote a bunch of stuff. Um, so uh, I, that was very helpful. Um, and certainly uh, if, if I were maybe more, if, if I had a stronger sense of willpower, I suppose uh, I would just kind of turn off the router and uh, <laughs> go into a cabin or something like that and, <laughs> and, and churn some of these things out. Um, it's, it's difficult because whenever you're kind of a small press creator, you're not just one thing. Um, you're not just doing one thing at, at one, one point in time. So, you know, with me uh, and with Honcho specifically um, you know, we, we worked together on, on the plot. I did most of the dialogue uh, and then I lettered uh, the, the book. So I, I did kind of that part of it. And that is something that just kind of came about because of necessity, just in general, not for, for Honcho um, where it was uh, easier and cheaper uh, for me to mm-hmm. uh, learn how to letter. Um, and I, found, <laughs> and as someone who doesn't have a lot of, uh, you know, creative qualities, uh, from an artistic standpoint, Um, that was, that was was a way for me to kind of contribute in a more tangible way, uh, than saying, I have these ideas, um, for, for things that people can say, and, and actually put that down, down on the, on the page as well. So, you know, the, the process is, it's not just one thing, um, which is, probably the dream of, of any creator where I just want to do the thing that I want to do and have other people do all the other things that I don't uh, want to do. Okay. And that's, that's a very rare thing. Um, and certainly 
um, and we don't need to to get into this, but uh, a, a book that I'm I'm publishing now uh, that Jeff is also involved in, which I'm very grateful for. Um, you know, it, it's not just a matter of of writing it. It's not just a matter of you know editing it. But it's you know, sometimes it's formatting files, and sometimes it's mm-hmm. you know getting these things ready for for production. Um, and these things take time and and effort that probably could be better spent uh, in in other creative endeavors. But mm-hmm. it's just the reality of trying to to put a book together and to publish something and to 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 actually have that physical copy. Yeah. Jeff, how about you? The the timing for creating a book, first issue. So I would say writing for me, I you know, ha- having had the pleasure of doing both where I've just solely scripted something and stuff where I've, I've you know sort of solely illustrated stuff, I find that it's about um, a ratio of one to four. So it takes me about a week to write an entire script and it takes me about over a little over a month to illustrate it if I had to. Um, You know, and a lot of that comes down to sort of the process and how I work. Um, When I do outlines for projects, you know, like for instance, like stuff with AWA, they want a whole outline before they sort of officially green light it. So this is the entire story sort of told in brief. If it was a film, you would call it a synopsis. Um, You know what I mean? But what I do include with it, which I've turned, which I found out recently, there's a term for this. Um, I write about 80% of the dialogue in that outline, just, you know, not attributed or maybe it's attributed, but just to sort of, so it reads a little cleaner. Um, This is called a script mint. So it's, a, it's basically a treatment and a script sort of combined. Um, but from that document, once I have that in hand, everybody likes it, everybody signed off on it, I like it. I can take those documents and turn them into full script very quickly. Um, because also as, as sort of um, from, from an artist standpoint, um, writing um, panel descriptions and pacing is stuff that I'm very comfortable doing. Um, if there was something that I sort of, uh, I wouldn't say struggle with, but the hardest part for me in, in writing is there's always this part where you've got the story, you're going to do this story, but there is a thousand and one ways where you could tell this story. I, I, I guess one would call it the plot, for lack of a better word. You know, mm-hmm. How are you going to unroll this story to the reader? Uh, and the problem that I get stuck on is there's a million ways to do it. And I can sit around and imagine all of them, you know, so it yeah. always takes, you know, some kind of outside influence to say, no, that one's the way to do it. You know what I mean? Like you were right the first time you're overthinking it with the other 19 and even just knowing that I'm like, okay, that'll work. I can easily take that and sort of make that work. Um, but the short answer is I would say on average, it takes about a week for me to write a script. Um, I've done some that have taken a little longer. I've probably done some a little faster, um, but I feel like that's a good sort of pace for me. And again, that that's after having had a, you know, a nice outline in hand. And I would say that outline might also take probably four to five days to a week to do as well. Uh, but okay. once I have that in hand, I, I'm also very confident in that outline. So like, I'm not second guessing stuff by the time I get to my script at that point, you know, I feel like it's going to work. I have a, most of a good idea of what the dialogue is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, the other side of that is, is illustrating stuff. And again, it's like, like just who knows, you know, like with graphic novels, stuff like the book I just finished, I had been working on this one for about 18 months, um, if not closer to two years. Uh, and that was that was steady work. Like I, I, I wrote it, I illustrated it, I, I lettered it. So it's like you've got your thumbnails, pencils, inks, and then you've got a grayscale, the whole thing. And it's just, I mean, it, it was like the never ending project. Like I can't remember a time I wasn't working on it now just because it, it's like this entire sort of pandemic period has been this book. And I'll probably forever associate the two together. Um, so, I mean, that that just sort of and this is one of the things that I, I sort of dislike about working on graphic novels. Um, when you're working on issues, you're always sort of checking in with somebody, you know, whether that's to go to the printer or say, hey, do you have that, that next issue script? You know, whereas with a graphic novel, it's like I just disappear into a weird place for like two years just and just finished. work, 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 work. Right. Uh, and luckily, you know, I mean, with we did I did a Kickstarter for Wipeout, which was fine. It was enough to sort of give me sort of an advance on the book is how I look at it. It covers printing and shipping and all that stuff. Um, but I clearly couldn't live off of that for two years. So I'm fortunate to be able to do a couple of other things too. Gotcha. Uh, freelance projects, like the writing for AWA, I did in the meantime, the two projects with them, uh, Grendel and, and the fourth man I wrote while I was working on um, Wipeout, which was the graphic novel. Okay. Uh, and then also teaching keeps that, keeps the flame alive as well. Um, so luckily, you know, I, I was able, I, I just, I couldn't just set aside two years of my life with, with, you know, very little income to just do a graphic novel as cool as that would be. Um, so it's always, and that's also something to consider for anybody who's listening to this, that, that's considering doing things like that is it's always about balance. You know what I mean? I would right. say 
you know, 75% of my time in those two years, the 18 months were working on this graphic novel. The other times working on these other projects and just sort of keeping that stuff coming. And again, I'm very fortunate to have those, those, that, those two particular projects, the way they came about was sort of a fluke for lack of a better word. Um, so very happy to have them at those times. I'm very proud of the books that came out too, but the long story short, it takes a long time to do almost anything in comics. And I'd like to say to Jeff's point, to Jeffrey's point about, um, learning to letter or anything that you can also bring to the table as a collaborator is a huge thing. Um, it's, it's almost a prerequisite for free, for, um, small press stuff. Um, I started out lettering my own stuff and I'm more, usually more than happy to have Jeff or somebody else letter something if we're working together. But I found that it makes me, it made me a better writer and artist too, um, to understand, you know, you know, what's sort of the, at what point is there too much text on the page? And we've all had that where we run into the wall of text and your eyes glaze over, mm -hmm. you know what I mean, on a page. So there's a balance there. And I feel like as, as an artist, I've got a pretty good handle on that. It's something that I use that informs how I write stuff. Uh, and also as a letter, you know, how much is too much on a page? You know, right. how much space do you really need to leave for this? Um, that's a big one early on, you know, not leaving enough space for lettering, you know, because you've seen crowded pages and it, it sure. happens. And by the time a letterist gets a page, you know, there's really generally no redraws are going to be done. You're going to make it work. And we've yeah. seen some, I've seen unfortunate pages where they're just like, nope, all that's going to go on there. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, but yes, collaboration, um, cross training uh, and lettering, I think, is really the silver bullet. Um, it really, uh, it really makes you sort of a, a approach it in a professional manner. You kind of have to have your crap together to letter, you know, I mean, just from a production standpoint, mm -hmm. um, it, it's super useful. Just like every, every comic by and large needs lettered. Um, it's a way to find other collaborators. You know, even if you're a writer and you're like, Hey, I'm just looking to make friends that are making comics. It's a, it's a pretty nifty, pretty nifty skill to have. I think. Yeah, definitely. Jeff, when, when's uh honcho due? Oh, uh, that's a great question. It is. Very soon. So it's just going off to the printer. So I believe two months from now it will be out. Um, so I guess that is that would be a, uh, a late March release for issue one. And then the uh, second issue will come out in, um, in the following month. Um, they were the way they are is they originally it was like 120 pages, I think we did for Hancho. And these are basically two sort of giant sized issues. So they're not normal sized issues. So each oh, one I think okay. is 64 pages. Oh. Um, so these are, these are big honking comics. It's got a slightly higher price point. I think it's seven ninety nine. I think so. Yeah. Does that sound right? Which is a high price point, but again, you're getting 64 pages and we're hoping that sort of um, one of the things that I've run into, and I think everybody who's ever put a comic out through diamond or whatever, there's always sort of that steep decline with a mini series where issue two, like whatever the order numbers you get for issue right. one, you get half of it for the second issue and it's just laws of diminishing returns. So the hope was that, you know, by making it just a two issue mini, it's a small commitment for a shop. Cause you know, I don't envy shops either, man. I mean, they've got to make a decision on a book they've never seen, never seen. Um, a, a couple months beforehand. And like, I, I don't know if I'd make that call. Like this is an untested <laughs> book. Right. Uh, I've got to order issue three before I've even seen issue one, you know, to see if anybody likes it, if I can sell it in the store. Right. Um, so hopefully them seeing that like, there's just two issues here that, that, you know, people are willing to take a chance on it. And who's the publisher again? I forget. CEX. So comics, ex, uh, comics experience did um, sort of online um, sort of comic making classes for writing, publishing. Mm -hmm. um, there's the guys that run it. Andy Schmidt is sort of the president publisher of it. He's been in comics for, I think, at least 20 years. He's done different, different licensing stuff. He worked at Marvel. He worked for IDW. Uh, one or two other places that I'm forgetting here, but he just decided that he wanted to start, you know, he had all these students that were putting out really cool books and he decided, Hey, what the heck, you know, I start a publishing company. Uh, so he yeah. sort of initially started publishing those books. Um, I, you know, I don't remember where, I think he had been a Kickstarter backer. Um, so he had gotten Honcho. I think he had been a Honcho backer actually um, when we had initially kickstarted that a few years ago. So he was aware of the project and then we, he had reached out um I don't know, maybe seven or eight months ago. Time's weird recently, but I think it was about <laughs> seven or eight months ago um, just to talk about publishing stuff. And Honcho was a book that I know Jeff and I always wanted to sort of get out there on the shelf. Um, Cause cool. prior to this Honcho just existed as like a few hundred um, books that we got pressed for the Kickstarter. So oh, it had never okay. officially sort of been published. So I'd always wanted to find a place where we could get it sort of on the shelf. Uh, cool. So when Andy had mentioned that that's um, what he was looking to do, I was very excited to do it. Awesome. Awesome. Jeffrey and Jeff, thanks so much for talking with me today. Jeffrey, where do people see your work? <laughs> On a billboard uh, outside <laughs> of uh, 
murderers row um <laughs> murderers row um so uh you know i appreciate the opportunity to uh to talk with you guys and to kind of catch up um and talk about some of our projects uh if i always tell this to, to anyone if, if they ask me like so what do you do well i write uh, what do you write? Well, I write comics. What comics do you write? And you know, their expectation is, you know, Spider-Man or something. Right. Um, if anyone knows uh, any of the work that I've done in, in broader circles, broader circles, um, I have written uh, for, for the past uh, eight years or so, uh, The Tick for New England Comics. Okay. Um, so that's a character that, that some people are familiar with. Um, I'm putting out a book right now called Planet Comics. Uh, Planet Comics uh, originally was a uh, a a pulp comic that kind of sp spun out of Planet Stories, which was a pulp magazine in like the 1940s. Okay. Um, they told sci-fi stories, and uh, you know, if if you recognized them, you you know them for the covers and just kind of these all all these very creative, very colorful um, uh, scenes that they would uh, put specifically on their covers. Um, so what I've done is I've stolen that. Um, it's in the public domain, so I can do that. Uh, okay. So uh, we are uh, publishing uh, some new issues of that kind of with the same theme, uh, science fiction stories. Some of them continue. Some of them are, uh, are, uh, are self-contained. And uh, it just so happens that the third issue is... Uh, I don't know when this is going to be, you know, published. Uh, the, the the podcast probably, you know, um, but probably uh, it possibly is on Kickstarter right now. Right now, okay. Uh, so so Jeff McComsey has a story in it called uh, "The Old Man in the Sea of Love," which is obviously a um, a, a a love letter to uh, Ernest Hemingway's classic short story, mm -hmm. um, but in space. Uh, so, <laughs> in space. Uh, so I'm I'm really enjoying that uh, to to a great degree. Um, but I have a, a number of other creators that are, are contributing to that and uh, doing some great work. So I'm really proud of some of the stuff that we've done. And uh, I, don't know, I, I look forward to, to making at least a few more before uh, I am completely broke. All right. Who's publishing that? I <laughs> you are. Uh, so, yes. Yeah, so this is a, a Kickstarter book. Um, I have kind of my own little imprint uh, called Wagon Wheel Comics. Okay. Uh, and the alliteration spoke to me one day back in 2007 or something like that. So, uh, so we've, we've stuck with it since. Um, but yeah, you can, you can find that on, on Kickstarter. I'm planning to launch that, let's say mid February. Um, and that should go until about mid March. Uh, so hopefully, you know, uh, tell, tell all your right listeners, awesome. uh, check it out on Kickstarter. Yeah. Right. Website me, people can go money. to. <laughs> um, you can go to teddyandtheyeti.com. Um, should Teddy I have a more professional sounding website? No, you're awesome comics. <laughs> uh, but but Teddy and the Yeti are, are characters that uh, I, I co-created uh, with uh, my, my friend Dwayne Redhead. Um, we did that a number of years ago. And uh, when it was time to get a website, I said, sure, we're going to do that. And I've, I've kept it. Does Very anyone fun. use it? Does anyone <laughs> associate it with me? I don't know, uh, but that's not something <laughs> I'm worried about right now. That's future Jeff's problem. Okay. Uh, so yes, so so look me up. I'm on Twitter at Jeff McClelland. Um, I got I got in on Twitter early enough where I could get the uh, the, the username, which is highly contested. There are a lot of at Jeff McClelland ones and oh. at, uh, at you know oh, wow. Jeff something else McClelland. So okay. Too late, suckers. It's mine. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so you have to be an early adopter. Early adopter. <laughs> Jeff, where can people find your current work or future work? Uh, so just recently, um, uh, right now, The Fourth Man is a book that I wrote from with AWA. It's coming out with uh, Mike Diodato, who did the art for it, which did a great job. Very excited about it. Um, that's out now. Um, obviously, you know, in the next over the next few months as well. It's a four issue miniseries. Um what was the oh and mother russia i did a uh, which is essentially sort of a sequel a silent issue sequel to the book that you read right. um i'm also publishing with cex with andy schmidt and that should be out i believe in two weeks um oh, okay so and this is this is also which is what i find hilarious about comics is i will literally work for three years 
and then suddenly everything will come out at once within like four months of itself. And then you'll never hear from me again until like 2025 or something. Oh boy. Um, and I'm exaggerating, but it usually seems like that. Whereas like I'll have, and I'll complete these projects and it's always within a four month window. And then I got to disappear again. Uh, but long story short, mother Russia comes out. Um, this is big for me. I, I rarely have the, this many titles sort of on the shelves in a given time. So it, I'm very excited. Uh, but yeah, awesome so Fourth time. Man, uh, the Mother Russia um, silent issue uh, is out two weeks from now. And then, um, yeah, I guess then Hancho will be out in the, the preceding month after that. So Sweet. Website for you? For me, uh, I believe I got jeffmccumsey.com. That wasn't a hot one, so I scooped that <laughs> up. That has just samples of my work. It has some pages from Honcho, some pages from Son of Hitler, I think some pages from Flutter as well, and then a few other projects. I used to do this thing for fun. Maybe I will again someday if I remember how to have fun, called Six Panel Cinema, uh, where oh. I'll take a, a movie or a scene from a movie and turn it into sort of a one-page comic. Um, so. So it's, it's something I do. is a lot of fun. Um, it, it, there's a bunch of them hosted on there, too. So by all means, check that out there. Excellent. Oh, sorry. Yeah. And I'm at Jeff underscore McComsey, I believe, on Twitter. Oh, okay. And, and, did, and, did you, uh, McComsey did you Comics for... on Instagram, I believe. And uh, if you check the Twitter, I believe that Jeff McComsey is sort of my link there. So you can go right from there to check out some of the stuff that I've done. Did you have to include that underscore because uh, at Jeff McComsey was taken? by? Some... I believe so. Now oh, I'm not even shame. sure if there is an what underscore. I can't remember the last time that I typed that. <laughs> not in. everyone can be at Jeff McClellan. <laughs> no, no, you got that. And I feel like Jeff McClellan's a little more common than Jeff McComsey. You know what I mean? Just a little, right? Yeah. It's a little more solid. Just a little. Thank you both for joining me today. Uh, yes, this will be up probably towards the end of the month, maybe beginning of March. Sweet. Link um, me up and I will, I will spread it around. Absolutely. Awesome. Jeff McComsey and Jeffrey McClennan, thank you so much for being our Uncanny Creators today. Have a Thanks great day. Take care. See you guys.